The following podcast is a deep, shallow dive production. Okay, let's go. Hey, everybody. Happy Wednesday. And we're going to get right into it today. So thank you to everybody that sent me a note yesterday. I really do appreciate the the kind words and... All of you who appreciated, I guess, tackling a, a, a tough subject, and this really is a tough subject. I mean, it's it's honestly probably the hardest thing that I've chosen to talk about. You know, the Sound of Freedom episode was one of the ones that I thought would be incredibly hard, but it really wasn't that hard because to me that one was pretty cut and dry. You know, the JFK episode, I've actually branded a few episodes under Deep Shallow Dive exclusive and JFK, Sound of Freedom, the 9-11, which aired on 9-12. You know, those all were challenging, but yesterday's definitely has been the most challenging to try and tackle this issue from a, again, non-emotional, intelligent manner to take a look at it from from all sides. And for any of you that I guess might have a hard time wrapping your mind around that, then honestly, you probably don't know the history of this situation. And you have to take in the history. I know what's occurred really both in Israel and the Ghana or the the Ghana, the Gaza Strip area of, again, we're just going to call it Palestine, even though we've established yesterday the incredible confusion and lack of clarity in terms of whether Palestine actually is a country, which by the way, I have to say, I lost count after 10, but I had a lot of people say to me, oh my God, I feel like an idiot. I had no idea Palestine was no longer technically a country. But don't feel bad. Please don't, because it's incredibly confusing. But what I was saying was that, you know, obviously the images and the videos and the things that are being seen are being shown on the mainstream media and media in general that most people have access to. They're awful. They're absolutely awful. And all of those images, any any person that has been harmed, killed, hurt in any capacity in Israel over the past three days, or in, again, like I said, we're just going to refer to as Palestine, really it's Gaza and West Bank, those two sections, any persons that have been hurt, harmed, killed in any capacity, that's just awful, unacceptable, unacceptable by all accounts. But again, you have to understand that it's happening to both sides right now. This is this is the part that bothers me the most is that both sides, the innocent on both sides are suffering because of this and they're the ones that are being hurt. And so even though, you know, to call a spade a spade, you're primarily seeing the suffering that's going on in Israel I will tell you, it's equally bad for the Palestinians right now. Again, the innocent Palestinians, I'm not talking about Hamas. I'm talking about the normal people in Palestine. You know, there's a guy on Instagram and man, this this situation has like thrown my, oh, what's the word? My compass 
upside down in so many different ways. And I'll give you a perfect example. There's a there's an activist named Sean King. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I can't say I've agreed with a lot of things that he has posted. And again, no, no disrespect to Sean. I don't know Sean. Obviously, he takes strong stances on uh, basically everything that he's passionate about. And I respect anybody that takes strong stances on what they're passionate about, whether I agree with them or don't agree with them. But, you know, there's been a lot of things that I haven't agreed with him on. And then he is one of the the primary sources that is getting access and posting, you know, the horror that the Palestinians are, are, are having right now. And again, that is equal to the horror that I'm seeing more of on the Israeli side. But if you want to see the other side's horror, and again, I ask you, let's try and rise above a little bit and look at this thing from from that lens of of well really forget common sense that lens of humanity across the board go to Sean King's Instagram he's the main place i've seen things and take a look at some of the videos that he's posting i mean it is it is equally horrific Okay, I want to start with a couple uh, things from yesterday. You know, I ended up the cover art. The cover art is that little square image that basically corresponds to every podcast episode. You know, a lot of a lot of people don't change it, but I actually try to change that episode, that cover art out every episode to really reflect the episode instead of just being the the main cover art that I use for my main podcast, which is that picture of me, Deep Shallow Dive with the orange background. But the cover art I used yesterday on episode number 34, which by the way, if you didn't get a chance to listen to, I'd almost say stop listening now, go listen to episode 34, and then come back to this one. But that cover art has the map of Israel, and you can clearly see where the Gaza Strip is, and then also where the West Bank is. So again, just to refresh your memory on that, Palestine, which is not a country, technically a nation state, although it's not even recognized as a nation state by over 60 countries in the United Nations. The other 130 do recognize it as a nation state, basically is like two big suburbs inside the country of Israel. Now, Israel is recognized as a country, I think, by all the countries in the United Nations, but I'll look that up. Anyway, if you want to see the geography of that, go to episode 34 and go to the cover art. I did want to talk about a couple other non-related things, actually, because I think these are relevant based on the variety of podcasts I've done on them. So the other thing that happened on Monday was that RFK Jr. announced that he was leaving the Democratic Party and running as an independent, so he withdrew his nomination as a Democrat, I guess reapplied as an independent, and he had a he had a big thing in Philadelphia, and so I actually called that Monday morning, but a lot of people did, so I'm not really patting myself on the back on that. But I will say, I don't think anyone cares I really don't, as much as I hate to say it because I have enjoyed uh, his disruption, I really don't think anyone cares now. 
And again, when I say I don't think anyone cares, I'm talking about it got zero coverage in the news, although I guess that should be expected, especially considering what went or what took place in terms of Israel and Hamas. Even if that hadn't took, taken place, it probably would not have gotten any coverage. But I don't know. I just feel like the momentum's lost for him. I really do. And unfortunately, the same thing with Vivek Ramaswamy on the Republican side. I think the momentum is lost for him as well. And as much as I hate to say this, I think my debate idea is dead. And I think that because, I don't know, the moment's gone. The moment's gone. I think that was, we had a window of opportunity that was about maybe 10 days open that we could have really, honestly, I think really benefited both candidates with that. But, you know, I'm I'm staying open to see if the camps still want to engage in that. But in all honesty, even if they did, I don't think we'll get the same result as we did before. The other thing I wanted to talk about is I had shared a while back in in one of the episodes that I had signed up for all these guys. Uh, and when I say these guys, I'm talking about the Republican candidates and the Democratic candidates, which, by the way, they all seem, I guess, yesterday's news. And they kind of are. I mean, there's bigger fish to fry right now in the news cycle, obviously. But all those guys, they just, nothing's really relevant anymore. I mean, nobody's talking about it. You're not seeing it anywhere. And honestly, it's not even top of mind with me. And I'm into this stuff. Like, I'm really into this stuff. And I really don't care about, you know, the Republican guys or the, or the Democrat side. And I mean, that's interesting. You know, that, that is interesting. Like that whole... I guess obsession, poof, it is gone. Now, what I was going to say was, you know, I signed up for these guys' websites and I went on their mailing list for email as well as text message for the ones that are offering it. And, you know, I am, I, I, I'm not going to unsubscribe because I still want to see how they continue to message things more from a branding and marketing standpoint. But I will tell you that what started out as, vision messages, what started out as them talking about, you know, their plan. Now, all it is is fundraising. That's all it is. And all of them across the board, I don't get anything that talks strategy, that communicates, again, a vision, what their plan is. It's all fundraising. Everything is blah, blah, blah. Can you chip in for this? Blah, blah, blah. Can you chip in for this? And I, that's lame. I think that's lame. And it makes me question everything, especially when I don't really know where that money's going to. So anyway, I did want to share that because that was a piece of follow-up that I had said I would commit to giving in terms of what, uh, in terms of basically what got communicated out by those camps. And then the last thing really quick, I had a couple people ask about this, so I thought I would uh I thought I would answer this question. So when I played the clip about is Palestine a country and I went into ChatGPT to get it, if you notice, ChatGPT said the following. As of my last knowledge update in September 2021, 
So what I wanted to explain is if you're using their free version, which is 3.5, the last time the database or the knowledge update on that was done was September 2021. That's why anything you ask it, it's not pulling information or data from the past two years. Now, if you pay for 4.0, which again, I think it's 20 bucks a month, I believe 4.0 is directly connected into the current internet. And so it will pull data more current than that September 2021. Okay, so today I'm still working on answering all those questions that I posed yesterday. And again, if you did not listen to yesterday's episode, episode 34, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. I honestly think this is going to be a three, four, potentially five part series this week and might might honestly occupy most of the week because this is a big deal what's going on over there and new information is coming in on a daily basis and there's obviously a lot of ramifications to this situation globally. So this will probably get covered a few different times, but What I wanted to talk about today is I had a lot of people questioning or trying to understand what I was, I guess, trying to communicate in terms of saying that the Republicans are tremendously supporting Israel, but Democrats are not supporting Israel. And I had a people in a couple people in particular, I don't want to say question, but Well, I guess they did kind of question it, but they were more just asking questions about, you know, is Netanyahu really like Trump? And then does Obama really not like Israel? Like, is there a bad relationship there? And again, this is stuff that, you know, I'm sure there's people that have understood the geopolitics behind that, but but most of us normal people really never have. So I want to I want to talk about that and I want to clarify things and I'm going to read some things for you from the news and play some clips. So let's start with the low hanging fruit and the easy one. Is Netanyahu like Trump? And again, by the way, anything you hear that you question, just Google it yourself or chat GPT it. Remember chat GPT is only pulling data until September 20, 2021. If you're using the free version like I am, but you can just Google it. So when I Googled is Netanyahu like Trump, I'm going to read you something from Politico which Politico is very, very left-leaning. And it says, Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu have been allies, but also intriguingly mirror one another. That's not only because both see strength, quote-unquote, as their go-to asset, or at least the con that the political base seems most likely to buy. Each claims to be his nation's singular guardian against catastrophe. I'm going to read that again because that's a that's a well well written line. Each claims to be his nation's singular guardian against catastrophe. You know, I know Trump says that, and then Netanyahu has absolutely he ran his entire campaign last year or earlier this year on saying, "I am the one that can protect Israel." And so obviously, people are like, "Hey, what the heck you said that and now look what's happening but then there is a layer of folks that seem to think that what's happening is a uniter for him so what's happening is awful as this sounds and as awful as this is to think through 
they are saying, and again, there's a lot of chatter on this, a lot. This is not my opinion. This is the chatter. But they're basically saying, you know, it's it's nationalism. It's really nationalism. So so the concept of nationalism, it's kind of like um it's kind of like after 9/11, honestly. It's after 9/11 where it's almost like any any issues Americans had with each other, they kind of put it aside because we were we were less divided and more united against a greater cause. So united against a greater cause. So anyway, just to finish out on that, as far as Netanyahu and Trump goes, yes, they, they, they're they very similar based on everything that's in the news about the two of them. You can look that up yourself. And like I said, I do know there is a there is a very solid, strong personal relationship with the two of those guys. I'm going to read you another headline because this actually will will set the stage for the next topic. But this is The Guardian. And again, The Guardian is very left-leaning, meaning that it it is Democrats' side of the news. And the headline is Netanyahu and Trump, two desperate men exploiting power to save themselves. Israel's prime minister... Is, is, ugh, Israeli PM growing increasingly Trump-like in willingness to turn a personal crisis into a national one to stay in power and out of jail. Now, that that's not talking about this current situation. It was talking about another situation with Netanyahu. But, I mean, that's pretty harshly worded. You know, that's definitely the type of coverage that Trump got. And it's interesting that the left-leaning Guardian, the left-leaning Politico, probably a dozen others, you know, are basically creating that that parallel parallel narrative between these two guys. Okay, so the next thing I want to read you is some headlines about, you know, I talked yesterday about Clinton and Obama. Really, it was Obama. I didn't know much about Clinton's relationship with with Israel, but so I googled Obama Clinton response to Hamas attacks, and so you know this stuff is updating. Gosh, practically by the minute. But I will tell you, when I did this yesterday, the first thing that came up was former presidents Clinton, Obama silent as Israel defends itself from from Hamas. The next article said, where is Obama? Where is Clinton? Where are these guys? And why are they so silent about this? So I actually left that browser window open. And again, the prompt I have in there, and this is just in Google, not ChatGPT. It's Obama, Clinton, Israel, Hamas. I put those four words in there. And so when I refreshed it right now, now you see finally exclamation mark, Obama, Bill Clinton speak, breaking days long silence. And then that was the New York Post, which is a very right-leaning entity. Here's Rolling Stone, which, believe it or not, Rolling Stone, even though I think it's supposed to be a music-oriented magazine still, it's very, very left-leaning. But even Rolling Stone says, Obama condemns brazen terrorist attacks on Israel. That's the headline. But then within the article, it does talk about how 
the president spoke, you know, 24 hours later. So, you know, that that's up to you to decide, I guess. You know, I'm not really going to judge that. You know, it does seem, though, when certain situations happen, you hear immediately from a certain set of people. And then when other situations happen, you do not hear immediately from the same aforementioned set of people. So you give that a think, as my British friend likes to say, give it a think. All right, I'm going to close this out by reading you something from the Cleveland Jewish News, my hometown of Cleveland. And the Cleveland Jewish News headline Obama Clinton breaks silence two and a half days after Hamas attacks. And then I'll just read you the first paragraph. Two and a half days after Hamas attacked Israel, killing at least 900 Israelis, wounding thousands, and taking more than 100 people of all ages hostage, former U.S. presidents Barack Obama and Bill Clinton issued statements within an hour of each other. Quote, all Americans should be horrified and outraged by the brazen terrorist attacks on Israel and the slaughter of innocent civilians. Obama wrote on at, or close quote, Obama wrote on X at about 5.03 p.m. Eastern time on Monday. So again, remember this stuff started on Saturday. This stuff started like six in the morning Saturday. And so the first, the first public statement by these guys was let's say six at night on Monday. So you're talking about, gosh, over 48 hours later. Anyway, okay, so before I play you this clip from AOC, you know, there's another, I mean, there's a million of these articles, but here's the headline of one of them, and this was yesterday. It says, Sunday in New York City, Democrats, Socialists of America, the party of Ilhan Omar, Cori Bush, Rashida Tlaib, AOC, and Jamal Bowman, by the way, Jamal Bowman, that's the guy that pulled the fire alarm, which I talked about a few episodes ago. If you remember last week in Congress, they were voting to give the boot and fire Kevin McCarthy on his day off. And Jamal Bowman was the guy that pulled the fire alarm for that. So he's part of this, you know, I think they call them the squad. Honestly, I'm not super interested in this crew, so I don't really follow them, but they call him the squad. So it's a democratic socialist of America. But again, he's part of that. But anyway, so they hold a pro-Palestinian rally after historic Hamas mass murders. So that happened on Sunday. And there's a lot of reporting about that group of Congress people that happened on Monday. You know, I did have a friend say, hey, where are you going with this? Like, like, what do you, what do you, I don't know, what's your point? And when I mentioned this stuff yesterday, and honestly, my point is there's like a disconnect. There's such a disconnect and I'm trying to piece that disconnect together. And what the disconnect is, is Democrats are supported by a base of individuals. And again, a lot of my friends are Democrats, and so they support, they're pro-Israel, right? And they're very, very pissed off 
what's taking place right now. But then the Democrats that they're supporting, it doesn't seem they align with that. And then on the Republican side, I mean, honestly, this is incredibly interesting. Republicans, I'm talking like the, let's say the Republican politicians along with like the Republican influencers, okay? These guys are super pro-Israel. They are just outraged right now with what's going on. But then their base, like I have a lot of friends who are Republicans, the Republican base, it's almost like they're like, well, I mean, not our problem. You know, stop sending money to Ukraine. Don't send money there either. This is not our problem. Why do we have to meddle in everything? So you see what I mean? There's like this unbelievable disconnect between the the two parties and where they stand. I'm talking, again, the politicians and the political parties, and then let's lump in like, you know, the influencers or the 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 strong political pundits into their into the group with each of them respectively and then their base of people it's almost like it should be flip-flopped you know like you would you would expect honestly you'd expect democrats to be the ones supporting israel supporting all of that because that aligns with their base their constituency and then you would expect Republicans to not be supporting, not not necessarily not supporting, but almost like, hey, it's none of our business. We can't step in on this anymore because that's what their constituency says. And it's literally like flip-flop. I find that fascinating. And if anybody understands that better than me, please get in touch with me, however, by whatever means necessary, because I would love to have that you know, thoroughly explained to me, and then I can pass that on with full credit going to whoever explains it if they want that credit. Okay, so let me play this clip from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a.k.a. AOC. In 2019, the Israeli government refused to admit two members of the United States Congress, Rashida Tlaib and Representative Ilhan Omar, into the country, banned members of this very body because of who they were, said it was a sign of weakness. We have to have the courage to name our contributions. And sometimes I can't help but wonder if the reason we don't do that, if we're scared to stand up to the incarceration of children in Palestine, it's because maybe it'll force us to, to confront the incarceration of children here on our border. If by standing up to the injustices there, it will prompt us to stand up to the injustices here. Okay, man, there's so much in that. But, you know, again, I mean, you heard it for yourself. Obviously, that was a very anti-Israel, pro-Palestine stance at the beginning of that. But then the thing I thought was ironic and I guess par for the course when it comes to politicians, and I'm not even singling her out on this, I'm talking the, the whole bunch of them, the collective. You know, she talks about children here in the United States, and she was like one of the people that was 
you know, talking smack on the sound of freedom and Tim Ballard and no, this is not a problem and our borders are fine, which by the way, now they've totally flipped on that and now the border's a major problem. So again, you know, God, we, we have to, I, I need to stop saying God, we have to call a spade a spade on this. And the other thing is, man, I've got to go and search and try and be a little bit of a revisionist historian and find find things people said in the past compared to what they're currently saying because it does matter. It should matter if people are flip-flopping. All right, so the next clip is another interesting one. So this was on MSNBC yesterday, and this is Jonathan Greenblatt, and he's the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League Actually, if you remember the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, this was the organization that got into it with Elon Musk. And Elon Musk, I think, threatened to sue them or, yeah, he threatened to sue them because they were, you know, basically going at him and calling him anti-Semitic. And then Elon said that that, I guess, screwed up the Twitter X ad sales by 60%. If you remember, I talked about that in, in a previous episode, but give a listen to Jonathan Greenblatt, CEO of Anti-Defamation League. Obviously that is a pro-Israel, pro-Jewish organization, and he's on MSNBC, which again, MSNBC is super left-wing Democrats. And just hear what he, listen to what he says. I love this show. And I love this network, but I've got to ask who is writing the scripts? Hamas, the people who did this, they are not fighters, Jonathan. They are not militants. And I'm looking right at the camera. They are terrorists. Okay, so he goes on for a while longer, but man, this guy was, I mean, he was staring dead into the camera. And, you know, again, he loves MSNBC, and I'm assuming he loved MSNBC when they were, you know, everything anti-Trump. But that is interesting that, you know, he even said, who's writing the scripts? So obviously, you know, I haven't watched the way MSNBC has covered this, but obviously it's being covered in a way that angered, you know, the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League. So that must be not the way he wanted it covered. I don't know if they've soft sold it or how they've done it, but I thought that was really interesting. All right. So the last thing I'm going to play for you, (laughs) if you're not already totally confused, oh my goodness, seriously, this is a, this is a very complicated thing, but so I went And I researched because I honestly, I still, I mean, I guess I know they say Obama's Muslim, but I don't know that this whole situation doesn't make total sense to me yet, but take a listen to this. So this is a speech I'm going to leave with this and it's actually, I'm just going to play this out. It's a couple minutes long, but it's really good. It's a really good speech. And I give him credit for for giving it. So this is a speech that he gave in Jerusalem to the Israelis. And again, I know tomorrow I'm going to try to do this tomorrow. But he the the speech talks about how Obama speaks to a group of Zionists, and so we really haven't defined that term yet. 
to make everyone understand it, but I will do that tomorrow. But again, listen to this speech, you know, listen to the applause that he gets, listen to the content of what he's saying. And, you know, like I said, the one thing I'm struggling to understand is what I feel like is the, the misconnect between democratic leadership such as Obama, who is, in my opinion, the the grand poobah in the Democratic Party, and then the constituency, which is all of my friends. So if you're my friend listening to this, and if you are a Obama supporter, fan, worshiper, whatever, I mean, give me your thoughts on this. Seriously, give me your thoughts on this. I would love to hear them. Okay, give a listen. But the Palestinian people's right to self-determination, their right to justice, must also be recognized. And put yourself in their shoes. Look at the world through their eyes. It is not fair that a Palestinian child cannot grow up in a state of their own. Living their entire lives with the presence of a foreign army that controls the movements, not just of those young people, but their parents, their grandparents, every single day. It's not just when settler violence against Palestinians goes unpunished. It's not right to prevent Palestinians from farming their lands or restricting a student's ability to move around the West Bank or displace Palestinian families from their homes. Neither occupation nor expulsion is the answer. Just as Israelis built a state in their homeland, Palestinians have a right to be a free people in their own land. You know, I'm going off script here for a second, but before I I came here, I I met with a a group of young Palestinians from the age of 15 to 22. And talking to them, they weren't that different from my daughters. They weren't that different from your daughters or sons. I honestly believe that if, if any Israeli parent sat down with those kids, they'd say, I, I want these kids to succeed. I want them to prosper. I want them to have opportunities just like my kids do. I believe that's what Israeli parents would want for these kids if they had a chance to listen to them and talk to them. I believe that. 
Now, only you can determine what kind of democracy you will have. But remember that as you make these decisions, you will define not simply the future of your relationship with the Palestinians, you will, you will define the future of Israel as well. As Ariel Sharon said, I'm quoting him, it is impossible to have a Jewish democratic state at the same time to control all of Eretz Israel. If we insist on fulfilling the dream in its entirety, we are liable to lose it all. All right, everybody, that's all for today. This was part two. If you did not get a chance to listen to part one, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that. That was episode 33. This is episode 34. Call a spade a spade, and we'll see you for part three. This episode was brought to you by Boost Liquid Vitamins. Wake up, take your boost, start your day. Drink your vitamins, build your immune system with Boost. Available on Boost.com.